Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com, here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Texas Tech Football Podcast, brought to you each week by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm AJ Media, Texas Tech football beat writer Don Williams, joined as usual by AJ Media sports editor Carlos Silva Jr. Nearly halfway through a Texas Tech football season, and Carlos, the Red Raiders have TCU coming up on Saturday night, 6 p.m. game at Jones AT&T Stadium, and the stakes are a little higher because Texas Tech beat West Virginia last week on the road, 23-20. to 20. So Red Raiders are now 4-1 and one for the season. And uh, I looked up, last. this is the first time that Tech will have a Saturday, Saturday night home game at Jones AT&T Stadium, uh, going in at least three games over 500 since the Oklahoma State game in 2017. And that night, that game was sold out, um, 60,901. It was a great atmosphere. I'm not sure if uh, uh, Tech is hoping for a similar atmosphere this Saturday night, but there were about 10,000 tickets left as of Tuesday. So still plenty of seats available for Tech and TCU on Saturday night. But uh, I wanted to go back and uh, kind of set the table by talking about Texas Tech and West Virginia on Saturday. and. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll kind of discuss several key points, but uh, I might ask you, uh, how did the Red Raiders, uh, what was the most impressive uh, aspect of the Red Raiders' performance for you? I, I don't know if this is out of the box or anything, Don, but I think the fact that they were able to regain momentum. I know some people feel like momentum's not a thing in football, but there was something when West Virginia came out, they were able to you know, shake off that 17-0 deficit after halftime. All the momentum Texas Tech took by making that field goal, going into it. Yeah, they got the ball back, but then all of a sudden they figured things out, made some adjustments, and realized that Texas Tech, and of course we'll talk about some of these other storylines, but was a team that was without six starters and two key reserves going into that contest. Matt Wells was very quick to mention that, not as an excuse, but just to know what they had gone with to Morgantown. And I think the fact that they were able to one tie the game and number two, get a game winning field goal from Jonathan Garibay. I think that is a huge confidence booster. And number two, Don, I think just straight up to be about as frank as I've been with you, the kicking game was not that good last year. And I think that is a huge thing for Matt Wells and company to know that they can kind of count on a kicker to make these type of clutch kicks, not necessarily the game winner, not necessarily the, the game tying one, but just earlier on in the contest where you're trying to do as it was called when I was talking with Austin McNamara for another podcast that's on the uh, Apple Apple Music and kind of all those other things that you look at. The bazooka play where it's essentially you just wave the towels, I believe Dave Scholes does, and then they kind of get the field goal unit on there and they try and make it as quick as they can. And they were able to kick that field goal with, the, if I'm not mistaken, about four seconds left. I don't know if that happens a year or two ago because I know that's something, and I know Matt Wells jokes about it sometimes, but he doesn't talk about special teams, and I think uh, maybe this year he may start talking about them because they have been doing very well, especially the field goal unit, starting with Jonathan Garibay, who was able to earn that field goal, uh, the starting field goal uh, kicker status. So that would be my main takeaway uh, for, for what you're asking there. Yeah, and I'll go and agree with you. Garibay certainly stabilized that ever since he, uh, you know, kind of came on and was the hero against Baylor last year. Um, now he's six for six this year. The thing that was maybe most impressive to me was um, 
and he touched on they uh, were missing six starters at West Virginia. Um, and really the guys who replaced the starters, you couldn't have asked for much more. Of course, you knew you were going to be without Tyler Shuck, uh, and Henry Columbia steps in and, and has another stellar performance. Um, I, I continue to be amused by people who think he doesn't have a good arm, and yet uh, at Texas, he throws touchdown passes for 40, 69, and 75 yards. And against West Virginia, he hits uh, Lewick Fungi for 46 yards straight down the field, and he hits uh, Kalen Geiger for 42 yards on the game-winning drive. Um, so Tech still is as big play an offense statistically as there is in, in the FBS in the nation this year. Um, I think, though, you know, you kind of knew what to expect from Henry Columbia because you've seen him for a while now. Um, maybe the most p- pleasant surprises without Eric Azucanma being out there. Um, your young receivers, uh, you, you had to have some production from them, and you've got – a lot of big plays. Um, you had, uh, I mentioned the 46-yard catch by Fungi yeah. that came at a first play of the fir- fourth quarter at a time when the game was tied 17-17, and you had to have it. Um, you had uh, a couple of catches by Jerron Bradley, who we really had a true freshman that we really haven't seen much of this year. Um you know, he's a physically impressive kid at 6'5 and 200-plus pounds. Um, I kind of saw, you know, him for the first time. Uh, he had, I think, an 18-yard catch and a 12-yard catch, and one of those was on that drive to end the first half when they made that field goal you were talking about. Um, Trey Cleveland, uh, 17-yard catch. So none of those guys had big volume, but all of those guys made timely, important plays. And then, um, you know, Kalen Geiger is a guy who has really, uh, has, has really come on. Um, and you knew, you know, of course, you knew that uh, he had it in him because here's a guy who was a 3,000-yard receiver over four years, at, two years at Navarro and two years at Troy. So you expected big things from him. And, man, he's really taken off these last three weeks. Uh, 121 yards and receptions against, uh, I guess, let's say a six for 121 against Florida International. He was five for 100 with the 75 yard touchdown against Texas. And I believe he was like six for, or about six for 80 with uh, maybe the biggest play of the game there against West Virginia. And, you know, he, we were talking to him earlier this week. He's, uh, you know, he played, uh, I think the last three years he was a slot guy. So he was running a lot of kind of, uh, you know, your little eight and 10 yard underneath routes, but he's a really fast guy. And so uh, even though he didn't really fit the profile a lot of times of some of your outside receivers being only 5'10", he was excited to move back outside. That's the position that he played when he was a freshman at Navarro. And, and you're seeing why now, because he can just flat beat cornerbacks off the line, get down the field and, and, and catch the deep balls. It's funny you bring up Henry Columbia because I feel like he's almost mislabeled. And this is why I say this. I think once people saw that he was the quote-unquote backup, they totally forgot that him and Tyler were in a head-to-head battle for the quarterback position. And Tyler Shuck got it based on just, you know, some merits. I mean, they both threw the ball well, as you kind of alluded to, Don. They were both playing just as well. Henry May or may not, depending on who you talk to. I know you and I have a a difference of opinion on this, but he has some legs. Uh, I I would say he's a little bit faster than Tyler. I Again, that's kind of just pulling strings at this point, but I think that was the big thing was to get a great performance out of him. I certainly agree, and I almost believe I tweeted this, was I know it didn't seem like it at the time, but that throw from Henry to Loic Fungi, huge play in that game to where – that essentially gave Texas Tech just a spark that it needed on offense. And not only that, but then it took away, once again, that word momentum from West Virginia because they were able to continue their drives and they were able to get down. And obviously at some point, 
got the two field goals that helped them win that. Um, just to kind of play off of that before I kind of let you kind of get into the next storylines. Uh, speaking of guys that stepped up, Josh Berger, I know his story was told a little bit where he made his first uh, start at center. Certainly there was a lot uh, to learn for him as a learning curve, but I thought he played about as well as you could have. And of course he was a, a guard and a tackle uh, with uh, Texas Tech. So that obviously moved Ethan Card. I thought he played very well on the offensive line. And as I mentioned last week on this podcast, I thought if you're able to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, that team would probably be in a good position to win. Certainly Texas Tech did a great job of that in the first half, but in that second half, as you kind of mentioned, Don, that West Virginia defensive line eventually was going to get to Texas Tech, and they certainly showed why they were a really, really good defensive line. And I think those would be the two things that I would just kind of add to what you just said is that I think people forget that Henry Columbia is still a really good starting quarterback. I think people just have this backup label because he was behind a Jordan Love, behind Tyler Shuck, behind Alan Bowman. But every time he's been called or every time his number has been called, not obviously to make the cliche there, but he has performed. And I think that's something that you have to look for. Now, granted, that's one game and you have to continue to show consistency, but at least for right now, he's at least shown that he's making throws that he wasn't making before last year. And I think that is a huge thing when they do take on TCU in a defense that's just going to be as good or even better than the one that they just saw in Morgantown. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you were talking about a moment ago about the offensive line. So you mentioned Berger moving yeah. into center. And Josh said on Tuesday that that's the first time he played center since he was in the sixth grade. And then Ethan Card, as you noted, moved in to play uh, guard. He took Berger's spot. And there are three sacks in that game, but for the most part, um, they did, as you indicated, a pretty solid job protecting Henry Columbia. And um, if you had said if you had said before the game, would you uh, take sign up for only three sacks by West Virginia with uh, uh, all, with all the shuffling going on? I think you absolutely would have because you know Dante Steele's West. Uh, one of the West Virginia t- defensive tackles is Dante Steeles, who's a senior, who's more highly regarded defensive tackles in the conference. And the other defensive tackle is Akeem Mesador, who's a sophomore, who may be the best young defensive tackle in the conference. I mean, that tandem together is really top tier. And for Tech to have two guys on the interior starting um, at spots they're not accustomed that, that they don't normally play. Um, and to kind of hold their own against that tackle tandem, I thought was uh, was pretty impressive. Um, so let's. I was going to say, let's uh, I guess flip it over now to the defense for a moment, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it kind of uh, you know, Colin Schooler had a huge game on Saturday, fifteen tackles. Uh, he had the strip of uh, Jared Dagey that leads to the big fumble that Tech turned into a touchdown. Rico Jeffers just kind of gives your normal Rico Jeffers performance with nine tackles. But it jumped out to me as I was watching that game that uh, Krishan Merriweather was barely out there at all. And I'm not sure that Brandon Boyer Randall was was out there at all. And so we asked um, you know, Keith Patterson about that on Tuesday. And he said, yeah, that, that was pretty much accurate, that after coming out of the Texas game, he thought that they had – uh, we're playing too many players and rotating too much on defense. And the thing that was suffering and getting exposed was uh, breakdowns in communication. And, you know, this is, you know, it's not the first time, of course, that Keith Patterson has said that Rico Jeffers is like a coach on the field. He said, you know, f- for a long time now that Rico Jeffers is probably the best at recognizing stuff and communicating it to his teammates of any linebacker that he has ever coached. And I believe he felt like coming out of that UT game that when they were, even for all the depth that they have at linebacker, whenever they were rolling all those guys and Texas was going tempo, then he had big breakdowns in communication that led to, you know, what what was talked about a whole lot last week, which was Mm -hmm. um, guys having a tough time getting lined up, especially in that stretch in the second quarter. And uh, he said, you know, they kind of panicked. And so his, uh, he was pretty blunt about it. He said uh, the solution is uh, uh, 
keep the best guys out there uh, more more snaps, keep Schooler and Jeffers on the field more. And so I'll be interested to see if uh, uh, that continues this week to the degree that it did last week. As they say last week, it was Jeffers and Schooler were out there a bunch, and Josiah Pierre was out there a good bit, and and Mary guys like Merriweather and Boyer Randall and Jacob Morgenstern really barely got barely got to play. Yeah, and like you said, Don, Keith mentioned it. It was just one of those things where only so many guys can play. They all understand it. They're all, you know, as a team, wanting for the victory. So certainly that worked out last week. I'm interested to see how things play out. I know you're talking about the linebackers, but all of a sudden you look at the back end of the Texas Tech secondary and you talk about a a deep team that's now easily – uh, kind of scrapping for guys just to kind of play there. The secondary is certainly one that you're looking at because I know you noted it in your story, but when you see a Nate Floyd at safety, when Reggie Pearson and Kosai Eldridge, the two guys that play Spur, go out, it, it, it's something to kind of look at and go back to that cross-training that Keith Patterson keeps talking about, and you kind of wonder, well, how many guys are they going to have to roll out there because there's – Hopeful that, you know, you get a DeMarcus Fields back, but certainly when you lose guys, especially at the cornerback position, that makes you really, really thin in that back end. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're without Fields from the beginning last week because he had uh, he was in the concussion protocol. And as you touched on, you lose Pearson and Eldridge. Lose Pearson, Pearson and Eldridge, at, I want to say back-to-back series when the game was on the line. Pearson uh, – making the hit on the goal line on a touchdown catch by the West Virginia receiver and uh, messed up his shoulder. And then right, you know, moments later, Kosai Aldridge uh, is in a wreck and he's off the field. And, you know, that play had similarities to the one the week before when DeMarcus Fields got hurt because Fields and Eldridge both were chasing receivers from behind and Adrian Fry. Adrian Fry comes up from deep in the secondary and and wrecks it into his own teammates. It's uh, uh, against Texas. It was uh, Fields and Fields and Fry crashing, chasing Jordan Jordan Whittington, and against uh, West Virginia, it was Eldridge and Fry crashing into each other uh, as they arrive at the tackle for a, for a West Virginia receiver. And as you alluded to, then all of a sudden, bang! Nate Floyd is out there with. Uh, with the game on the line, and yeah. it's going to be uh, – I think you'll get feels back this week from what I'm told. I think you'll – I think there's a good chance that Eric Azucanma and Dawson Deaton will both be back this week. Uh, but, man, that secondary is uh, is really depleted because uh, Reggie Pearson, from the looks of it, uh, he was in a sling afterward. From the looks of it, I don't, I don't feel too good about him playing on Saturday. And from the way Eldridge looks, I'm, I don't think you feel too good about him playing on Saturday. So you're kind of get, I think what they'll wind up doing is sort of saying, okay, who are the best five? And we've cross trained a bunch of these guys. So you got Rashad Williams uh, on a corner. And like I say, I think you got DeMarcus. I think DeMarcus Fields will be back. Um, and you got guys like Dadrian Taylor Demerson, who's played a lot the last couple of weeks. Um, Adrian Fry, who's you know the one guy who who hasn't gotten hurt, and uh, so I think you'll be able to put five uh, and Eric Monroe uh, is at one safety. So I think you'll have five guys out there who have all played a lot, mm-hmm. but uh, afford for any of those guys to go down, and you also uh, and also those guys are probably going to have to play a lot of snaps on Saturday night because there's going to be a big drop off uh, in experience past those first four or five guys. Yeah, and just kind of looking at that, you're kind of looking at, again, a Nate Floyd or maybe a Kobe Miner, just some of those other guys, that, the Cam White, um, guys that probably haven't gotten too many reps. But as uh, Keith Anderson mentioned to us earlier this week, it's just it's a matter of you have to use either your mental reps if you're not actually getting on the field or some of those other things. And I think uh, one thing before I kind of finish my thought on this and we talk about uh, Texas Tech, or TCU a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know if he meant to say this or he just kind of said it out of turn here, Don, but when Keith Patterson was talking about what, when I think he was answering your question about how that affected the defense when they did lose all those guys, but they were still able to bounce back, he mentioned something that really kind of piqued my interest was 
you felt like some of the coverages he wasn't able to kind of put the pressure on West Virginia in that second half. And he said that was probably one of the reasons that West Virginia made the comeback because they just didn't have the guys to, you know, make the plays that he wanted to. So essentially they just kept everything in front of them, which is probably why you saw some of those plays being made. And I think that's something uh, that we'll allude to in some of the questions that we got on Twitter, but I thought that was an interesting comment that I got out of Keith Patterson. And last one before I kind of defer to you with all these guys dropping in the secondary, so to speak, it's going to be interesting to see how TCU attacks it because Max Duggan not known for his deep throwing, but certainly this would be an opportunity for a, a, a player to kind of do that if they are able to kind of get some get some uh, advantages at the back end of Texas Tech's uh, secondary. But like you said, if they're able to get DeMarcus Fields and at least get some guys on there, it's not like you're in a game and this is a situation where you're just trying to, you know, sort of uh, – I'm trying to think of the, the – the uh, term here, but essentially patch, patch the wall. That's kind of leaking. You know, you have a couple days, you got some time and practice to kind of figure things out. And I think it'll be a little bit better than what you saw in that second half against West Virginia. And on, on that, I will defer to you, Mr. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think he summed it up good. Um, and like you said, I think they, uh, Keith Patterson said he basically kind of played it safe last Saturday because so many guys were, were in and out uh, in the secondary that he, uh, you know, wanted to be aggressive, but uh, was afraid, you know, didn't think he could take many chances. Otherwise, you risk, you know, giving up 60, 70-yard uh, touchdown that uh, just adds that momentum that you were talking about. Yeah, which they didn't. They just got touchdowns. Yep. So, uh, each week here on the uh, Tech Football Podcast, we solicit uh, questions and topics from you, the listener, and uh, sent those out uh, uh, earlier on Wednesday and got some uh, replies back. Uh, J.H. asked, uh, what accounted for the fast start last week versus the first few weeks, and why did the lead disappear? Uh, And I really think the whole – and I know people are making – Kind of made a big deal of uh, Tech has started slow the last uh, or did start slow the first four games of the season versus last week they you know had a fast start and I think it's simply a matter of your your defense didn't get off the field in the first four games early uh, they gave up a lot of third and two third and one you know if, if you forced a couple of punts in those third and two third and one situations then then you're not talking about the slow start. Uh, versus uh, last week. Let me look back here at my play-by-play. I believe they started with uh, – they had a three and out early in that game, if I remember correctly. Against West Virginia, and, yes. And that was one thing that Matt Wells had mentioned was the fact that as you kind of look through stuff, um, was one of the reasons they were able to start fast was they got the three and out. And Keith Patterson mentioned this when we were talking to him earlier this week, is if you're not able to get a three and out, or if you're not able to stop someone on third down, that's essentially four to seven more plays that you're going to have to play as a defense. And I think that was something that they didn't have to do uh, earlier in that first half, Don, because as you said, Colin Schooler with the great strip sack, that leads to a touchdown. And that's right after Texas Tech, you know, went down the field and marched and they were able to get some momentum there. And I think that's just something, again, each game is different and the way things are treated. Fans are very fickle about it, but I think uh, the, the main thing you have to take away is that Texas Tech got the win. Um, yes, they did. I, I, I don't know if fast start is probably the correct term. I think the, the, the way to put it is the defense got off the field. I think that's the, the, the best way I would term it as you kind of uh, provide some statistics from your from your play-by-play now. Yeah, yeah, and I was going to say, so looking back here, first, first defensive series Saturday, you got a three and out. Second defensive series, you got the big play by Schooler and a fumble. Uh, third defensive series, West Virginia gets to third and one at your 33-yard line. Then they have a false start, and then uh, that puts them in – then they wind up in fourth and two from your 34, and uh, Rico Jeffers makes a play for you. Gets that quick pressure on the quarterback. He has to turn it loose before he's ready. And you're off the, and get a turnover on downs at the Tech 34 yard line. Um, fourth defensive series later in the first half, 
West Virginia is uh, looking pretty good. They got the ball first down on their own 40-yard line. And then on second down, uh, Jalen Hutchings breaks through the line, makes a big sack, and that gets West Virginia off schedule, and uh, and they wind up punting. And so each of those, you know, first all, all those series in the first half, Texas defense did something good versus compare that to say the Houston game at the uh, you know the Houston game in the season opener. It seemed like they were early in the game; they were constantly in third and two, and uh, well, now third and two, fourth and one, and they could they couldn't get them stopped. Yeah. And they couldn't get off the feet. And I think it's simply a matter of uh, – uh, I don't think it's so much uh, are you ready to go or uh, are you – is it a slow start versus a fast start? It's just are you able to force a team to punt early? Are you able to stop them on third and two and force a punt? Last week uh, last week they did uh, – and the first four games they didn't do that. Yeah, um, uh, you can also – sorry to interrupt you. The, the other thing that pe- uh, fans were kind of uh, chiming in about was uh, just the, the way that the offense was focused on Eric Zucanma. A big point last week, he was out of the game and you were able to spread the ball around, which is something fans didn't think was happening the first couple games, but that's because they didn't have enough plays to spread the ball around. And I think right now the, the one thing that you can like about the Texas Tech football team is they are answering a lot of questions that a lot of fans had. And I think right now the vibe is good for the football team. They got a big win on the road coming back home against TCU could potentially start five and one uh, with a two and one record in conference. And I think that in itself is just something to kind of look at because if you're five and two after seven games, that is a lot better than what Vegas thought that they would start or finish at part of me. Uh, let's see. Question for Michael Haygood. Uh, said it's been to a lot of Texas Tech road games over the over the years. Saturday was uh, his fourth time in Morgantown, with the exception of A and M in '04, where the OT was loud in all caps, and I remember that. Right, <laughs> and you're right, it was. He thought that second half environment there, the noise, the electricity in the stadium, was about as intense as any that he had ever experienced. And my thoughts, I tell you, I tell you what, Michael, I, I may have to defer to you on this one because uh, sitting in the press box, a lot of times you don't, I mean, it's a totally quiet uh, antiseptic. I don't know if antiseptic is the right word, but uh, right. it's, all, it's not totally soundproof, but it's close to soundproof. And so uh, you're, he, you would be a better judge of that than I am, actually. Um, although it does seem like to me, uh, you know, I, I think I think most places where Tech plays, the the opponents give you a pretty uh, legitimately tough road environment. But uh, but yeah, the the West Virginia fans did make it uh, did make it loud on Saturday, especially in the second half when they got things going. Um. A.G. the third asked, uh, how do you think the defense will hold up with all the injuries that Texas Tech has had? Uh, what percentage do you give Tech of beating TCU? Um, I'd say it's about – I think it's about 50-50. TCU is favored by one and a half. Um, I, re- I really think it uh, may well come back to uh, what we were just talking about. Are you able to make plays early? Are you able to turn third and twos into punts by TCU to get the crowd into the game um, and and keep your defense off the field? And uh, is Columbia and company able to uh, get some things going? Um, AG touched on, asked how will the defense hold up with all the entries? Um and like I said, I think Fields will I think Fields will probably be back this week. That's my understanding. I'm not sure that I don't think Reggie Pearson will be, but I tell you what, I think whether tech is healthy on defense or not healthy on defense, there's uh, I think there's big concern because you have two dynamic, really more than two, but two dynamic in particular playmakers on TCU's offense, and that's Max Duggan at quarterback and uh, Zach Evans at running back and I think folks know all about Duggan because he has killed absolutely killed you the yeah. last couple of year, last two years. Uh, 
two years ago here, had a 26-yard run. That was key. And he had a 20-yard touchdown. Last year in Fort Worth, he finished with, I believe it was 154 yards rushing. Touchdowns from three yards, 48 yards, and then the backbreaker, the 81-yarder. And if he gets out, he's gone. And, um, they, I mean, he is uh, – He's kind of owned the tech the last couple of years. And now you have Zach Evans, who's kind of coming into his own at running back. And, you know, just kind of a quick background on Zach, on Zach Evans. Kid from Galena Park, North Shore down in Houston. Two years ago, he and B. John Robinson were arguably the top two running back recruits in America. And, um, in fact, Zach Evans was the leading rusher in the Big 12 at this time last week. And then they went head to head. Uh, Texas and TCU did last week, and B. Sean Robinson went for 216 yards. And so that puts him into the lead. But uh, Zach Evans, big time running back. I believe he has uh, five 100 yard performances in his last six games. Um, and he Sounds had, about right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a 200 yard plus game against Cal. And then uh, he's gone for 113 in each of the last uh, couple of weeks. So, um, I, I think this this is a game where Tech is going to have to score because it's hard for me to conceive that uh, Duggan and Evans are not going to uh, 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 make some pl- make their plays against you and have some big plays against you. To kind of make it short and sweet from my perspective, Don, I think you got to contain Max Duggan and Zach Evans because I think the youth at receiver, while talented. I think is not going to hurt the Texas Tech back end of the defense if you're able to slow down Zach Evans and Max Duggan because I think those two guys, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like those are the two guys you want to slow down. And by that, I mean contain them. If you have to put a spy on Duggan the whole game, maybe that's Rico, maybe that's Colin, someone to watch him and make sure that when he does run and someone does make contact with him, he does not get yards after carries, that being Yak. Same thing with Zach Evans. I know, like you said, Zach Evans has had about 115 yards, I believe, the last two games. I think in both of those games, last week being uh, in particular, being the one in the in the uh, news so far is the fact that he only had 13 carries compared to Bijan Robinson, who had about 30-plus carries. He's had about, uh, the th- I, I want to say it was 15 or 13 carries. I, I apologize, I can't remember, but I know he had the same amount in that previous one, and the one where he had 190 against Cal – I believe that was about 22. And the only reason I kind of bring this up is because Drew Davison of this Fort Worth Star-Telegram, who, we t- who I talked to in the second portion of this podcast, mentioned he feels like the sweet spot for Zach Evans if you want to be in a good position to win with the way that he's been running and the way that TCU, frankly, has been giving up about 5.5 yards per carry is you want to shorten the game. And the best way to shorten the game is to have a good running game. And if he's able to get 20 to about 22, 23 carries, he feels like that could put TCU in a good position to win. And again, it's, it may come down to what we talked about going into going into the Longhorns game. Can Texas Tech do what they were doing before that 70 point? Uh, I don't know what you call it, but essentially reality check that they got from the Longhorns and slow down a running attack, which is what they were able to do prior to going to Austin. And they're going to have to do that against TCU. And I think that's, kind of what I feel is going to be the biggest difference is can you slow down those two playmakers? Because I don't think they're going to get too many plays. The big chunk plays part of me from the secondary from Texas Tech. I think they'll be playing with everyone in front of them. Yeah. Uh, at Matty Ice 24 asked, uh, what will it take uh, for Matt Wells to retain his job? Uh, Matt, I'd say probably uh, six wins in a bowl game. He would retain his job barring some other, uh, barring a couple other big meltdowns, uh, the likes of uh, the, like happened at Texas. And um, let's see, and another question, uh, also a Matt Wells-related question. Smoother asked uh, about recruiting, and more specifically the lack of recruiting in reference to high school kids. Um well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Wells just made it pretty clear that uh, his approach is – he recognized as soon as he got here that he had to upgrade the talent, and he felt like he had to um, make, get, a, get an older, more experienced team. 
if he wanted guys who are 21, 22, 23-year-olds playing for him versus having to rely on a bunch of 18- and 19-year-olds who had not been in a college weight program for very long. And so um, I think for the most part that's paid off. Most of the most of the guys they've taken in a transfer portal have either started or been key contributors for you know or top backups and key contributors for you. Um, and I'd also point out that um, the recruiting rankings generally are based on volume, number of recruits that you sign have a big number of high school recruits that you sign has a big part in the rankings. So tech. And not signing, they didn't sign a lot of high school recruits. And so by not signing a lot of high school recruits last year, uh, you're not going to rank high in the rankings. But based on those recruits' average star ranking uh, of, what was it, 11 that they signed this past year? I believe based on ranking, they were actually fourth in the bit. They were actually fourth in the Big 12. And I think think Matt Wells had a recognition also that – you know, people were a lot of people were dead set against him from the start, and so he needed to win and win quickly. And uh, they weren't going to have much sympathy for him. Uh, you know, if he signed twenty five high school guys and he's going three and nine because those guys aren't physically ready to compete, there are going to be people who want to run him off. So, um, so I think he again had the recognition that he's got to get veteran, experienced players, and and make that a key part of his recruiting. Yeah, and I think uh, when you look at some of the big playmakers that they've had, I think you have to, and, and I think you brought this point up too, Don, is they've hit on all these transfers. I mean, minus Tyler Shuck, who got hurt, Muddy Waters, who got hurt. You look at Colin Schooler, who was a great contributor, Jacob Morgenstern from last year. You look at Rayshad Williams, who was able to play some some last week when you were down. A couple guys. I mean, he's been, he's been, he's been, start, he's been Rayshad Williams has been starting for you all year. Yeah, so like I said, I mean, he's been there. Josh Berger, who we alluded to before, he started at center for you last week and played pretty well. And he even admitted it's good that he got some tape being at center because with his size now, he's going to probably be playing center if he does play at the professional level. So I think that's something to kind of be said is that they're willing to move guys, but they do have, as you mentioned, guys that have been in college weight rooms or have some games under their belt to where you're not having to – call them projects or you're not, you know, not expecting something different than what you get when you're looking at kids on high kids at high school tapes, as Matt Wells mentioned to us, I want to say in the off season, it's like you look at tape for high school guys, whereas you can talk to some of these coaches that have coached them and they can kind of give you the, the four one one on them. And that's how they did all the betting. And they felt like they've done very well with getting all the hits on these transfers. And I think that's big for Texas tech so far. And I think the other thing that people will start to look at, and I think you've kind of already mentioned some of it, but some of these redshirt freshmen, they're starting to step in and do some work for Texas Tech, along with Jerron Bradley, some of the true freshmen, and maybe even Cam Valdez if the running back room uh, is still thin without Todd Brooks and maybe, you know, some other guys if you want to add some other uh, horses in there. For just a moment, um, got a basketball question. So, uh, Carlos, this is right up your alley. Bruce, uh, and that is at Bry Bruce two asked, "What is there to be said about Texas Tech's new season ticket record?" And uh, the Tech men's basketball team announced that uh, they had set a record for season tickets sold on you Wednesday. The, you want the funny? Uh, well, you want well, the real answer? That, <laughs> uh, well, you, how about both? But you said, "Is it about Adams, Mark Adams, and culture? Is it great marketing, or is it both?" I, I think there's something to be said that there was something building already with the previous administration, but I also think there were a lot of people that knew that if you get season tickets, you're going to probably get first, uh, first ability to get any extra tickets on February 1st, which is I'm sure a, a date that's being circled when Texas tech hosts Texas for the first time as well. I think there's a little bit to that, but I mean, like I said, that this program has been on the rise this has happened every single year since the previous staff that being Chris Beard and company have been here. The fans are starting to realize that there is a, a very good national program here that can be a national NCAA tournament team every year. And I think once you start to show that consistency and I'll even throw it to football, once you start to show that the fans will come, 
we're going to probably see that this weekend. I know you mentioned the, the stat about the being sold out against Oklahoma State. I'm not going to say it's going to be sold out, but when you win and there's a little bit of momentum and people feel good about whatever athletic program it is, things sell out. Look at Texas Tech baseball with Tim Tadlock. It's almost impossible to get a season ticket for those guys, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it, what it is, is it, it simply it's become a habit. Uh, people are Tech men's basketball fans. They've uh, had a lot of good experiences over the last five years or so. And so it's become a habit that they, you know, buy season tickets. Um, and I, I don't necessarily, I would disagree with the extent you said, okay, you get better, uh, that, that you ensure you're there on February 1st, but you also get priority for, uh, you know, NCAA tournament. Uh, oh, yeah, that was track. a joke. Yeah, yeah, that was a joke, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so again, I, I think it's just habit and all the momentum that you build with the program. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And like I said, I mean, it, I, not, not to say that this wouldn't be the case with any other coach that would have been hired by Kirby or, or the uh, administration, but I think having a guy that's from Brownfield, Texas, a guy that's West Texas, a guy that's obviously had his face in the news and kind of is very familiar with a lot of people around here. I think that certainly helps as well. Just as a uh, same thing with Krista Gerlich, who's trying to build some momentum as well for the lady Raiders. Okay. Carlos, we've come to that uh, point in the program where we've devolved to uh, silly questions and uh, oh, God. we can always count on our friend Ryan King at nice. Ryan or at Ryan King now for the silly question. And Ryan says, uh, if the 10 Big 12 mascots had a battle royale, which would win? All normal size and only one of each mascot. I'm going to go real quick on this, Don. I feel like uh, Raider Red would win because he has a revolver. Battle. Well, see, now, and I'm thinking of the West, you know, the West Virginia Mountaineer because he has a musket. Oh, well, well, the musket's only got one shot, shouldn't it? Uh, very sure. slow reload time. I, I, I know we're going to probably, probably reload. Yeah, yeah, we're going to probably get way too far into this conversation, but I think Raider Red and the, the West Virginia Mountaineer would probably get into a little fisticuff. Now, granted, here's the other thing, too, that, that, that I don't appreciate about Ryan King and his TV ways about being very general. Is this a battle royale wrestling? Is it going to be throwing them out of a ring? Or is this just everyone's just in a, a brouhaha, you know? I, th- I, th- I think it's no no rules, no holes barred. All right. Well, that's so, so you so you so you and I are both leaning toward uh, mascots bearing firearms. I think uh, that would probably be fair because I it, again I think it'd be easy to say that probably a Baylor bear would be good. A Kansas State Wildcat would probably be pretty ferocious, you know. But I mean, if well, you- so here's the here's the thing though. The, the Baylor bear is it? I don't know. That's the legitimate. Uh, it's a big uh, grizzly bear. I think you know we're talking about the little cuddly bear drinking Dr Pepper on the sideline. At uh, well, technically, State. that's a polar bear, well, mini polar bear, I suppose. But so so, so as long as it's not a full size bear, I think you got to rule out Baylor. And as long as Bevo stays drugged as he yes. is, I think you rule out Texas. So as long as there's no dog around it, you won't get upset. As long- as long as there's no bulldog around, uh, I think the dark horse is maybe the uh, cyclone from Iowa State. You know, I up. didn't think about that till you brought that up. That's a very good point. Other nature, yeah, because uh, those bearing firearms cannot—they uh, can't slay. Uh, they can't slay uh, a yeah. tornado. So if, yeah. it, if it if it's a if it's a full on F five, then uh, the cyclones will be probably tough to beat. If it's just a little dust, dust devil, then we're back to uh, the Texas Tech. Well, it's right. normal size, so I'm assuming a normal size cyclone is going to be a lot bigger than Raider Red or West Virginia Mountaineer, so I guess I'm changing my pick just based on that then. So there we go. We talked it out. We got an answer for Ryan King. Yeah, uh, I hope you're happy, Ryan. <laughs> and you know what? With that, we've uh, wrapped up all our questions, so uh, we can transition into the uh, second segment of the program, and uh, that is uh, previewing the opponent. Carlos talked with uh, Drew Davison. Drew is the uh, uh, B-Rider for the TCU Horn Frogs for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And uh, with that, uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say, Carlos, so we can just transition on into uh, talking to Horn Frogs with Drew Davison. No, absolutely. And obviously the game's going to be at 6 p.m. Saturday, as you 
said at the top of the show, don't forget to follow us at lubbockonline.com, at cmsilvajr on Twitter, at aj underscore Don Williams on Twitter as well, and at Lubbock Online uh, for the Twitter accounts to follow us for all the text tech information. And of course, to check us out Sunday morning when you do pick up a newspaper, we'll try and get that in the newspaper or go to lubbockonline.com for that. But as I talked to Drew Davison, I think we're going to answer a lot of questions about what people are wondering, well, what's going on with TCU? They're 0-1, not a great start, had a good defensive effort against uh, Texas. I think there's going to be a lot of questions that are answered from that, Don. Well, with that, then, let's uh, transition to uh, the next segment. Hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Airlines Journal, bringing you the second portion of the Red Raider podcast. And for that, as we always do, we bring in beat reporter for the opposing team, and that being Drew Davison of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, who covers all things TCU athletics. How you doing, Drew? Hey, doing good, Carlos. Thanks for having me on. No, appreciate you just uh, making the trip out here to Lubbock. Certainly uh, a lot of people, especially those in Vegas, didn't think the Red Raiders would get to this point as they're playing TCU, who is winless in Big 12 play, yet here we are with Texas Tech at 4-1, and 1-1 one, one and one in conference with a big victory on the road against Morgantown. Of course, the two teams, that being TCU and Texas Tech, are playing at 6 p.m. on Saturday. We're going to break down some of the storylines going into this game uh, with you and just some of the things that you've seen covering the Horned Frogs so far this year. But I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that uh, Sonny Cumbie is now the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech, and he was there for seven years with uh, Gary Patterson and company. I guess from your perspective, Drew, what uh, I guess would you say are kind of the things that people remember about Sonny Cumbie at TCU? Certainly he was the offensive coordinator there, and then things kind of obviously changed in terms of his uh, delegations. But I guess what do you kind of remember about him and just what, what he kind of meant to TCU during that time? Yeah, Carlos, if, if, you know, you obviously got a great video of Sonny kind of reflecting back on his days at TCU, getting a little emotional, a little choked up. And, and that's kind of, I think, how a lot of people remember Sonny Cumbie. Uh, first time at TCU, a lot of the people around the athletics building, in the football offices, and especially in the locker room. I mean, you're not going to hear, uh, or I think you'd be very, very hard-pressed to find anyone say anything negative about Sonny Cumbie as a person and just – you know, kind of how he treated people, handled himself, et cetera. So uh, Sonny is still held in very high regard at TCU. Um, and as Gary Patterson said, you know, they, they won a lot of games. I mean, they had a lot more highs than lows, uh, you know, with Sonny as the offensive coordinator. I mean, 2014, uh, they won, a, uh, they shared the Big 12 championship for, you know, borderline CFP caliber team. Uh, arguably should have gotten in that year. And then, of course, had two other top 10 uh, seasons in, in sunny seven years. So t- three uh, seasons, TCU finished in the top 10. Big part of that, of course, is, you know, the offense and, and what Sonny mm-hmm. and Doug Meacham and the other guys were able to do. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, they, they kind of struggled, to say the least, the last couple seasons. But Sonny always – uh, still brought in good players. You know, the recruiting was always, uh, you know, really, really, really solid, especially when you look at Max Duggan, a guy who's now starting his third year uh, for TCU. You know, that was one of Sonny's guys. So um, overall, though, you know, definitely more highs than lows. And I think overwhelmingly people uh, re- remember Sonny as being, you know, obviously, uh, obviously off the field, just being a great guy. Yeah. So obviously going off the field to on the field, you alluded to him already, Max Duggan, a junior quarterback. He's a guy that we asked Matt Wells about. Real uh, dynamic player. He can use his feet and legs to get some plays there, but he's also throwing the ball well. But uh, another guy that she, that uh, TCU has, Zach Evans, the running back, the sophomore running back, is also a unique weapon and playmaker for TCU. I guess how have you seen those two just kind of really complement each other throughout the season so far? Yeah, I mean, TCU's offense, you know, I, I, they're two and two on a two-game losing skid, but it's really hard to blame the offense because uh, it's put up points. And, and for the most part, you expect <laughs> with Gary Patterson's defense that, you know, th- like a 34-point performance against SMU uh, usually wins that game. So 
you, you know, Max is, has had his moments. You know, he's kind of struggled getting the deep ball going, the vertical game going, but that's kind of been an ongoing work in progress for TCU uh, ever since this offseason and, and in fall camp. So uh, they're still trying to find their way of, of getting that clicking and, and going especially on the deep balls, because they do have some guys with speed and, and feel like they can attack some defenses, uh, you know, go, going over the top, so to speak. Um, and, and Zach Evans, you know, Gary Patterson kind of said it this week, you know, he looks like an NFL talent. Uh, most don't expect him to be around more than three years. He's just that type of player, that type of athlete. Um, and, and, you know, th- there's a lot of talk about Bijan Robinson having 35 carries and yeah. Zach Evans having 15 last week. And, and, you know, Zach Evans is not a 35 carry guy. And, and Gary no. said, you know, he's worried about the wear and tear of, of the guy carrying it that much. But certainly Zach Evans needs to get more touches than 15. He probably ideally he probably somewhere in that 20 to 23 range uh, with, you know, five or so targets in the passing game. You know, they, they want mm-hmm. to get him, get him the ball. They know he's a home run threat with the ball in his hands, uh, but certainly a very versatile running back and someone I'm sure Texas Tech has studied quite a bit of film on this week. Well, absolutely, and you talk about it. The last two games, he's had 15 carries and over 100 yards, and even if you go back further, going back to California, 190 yards against Cal in 22 carries, like you said, kind of that – little sweet spot for him in terms of what, what you feel the five foot 11, 210 pound running back can do. Obviously those guys will be the ones that everyone mentioned, Max Duggan, and Zach Evans, but are there some guys that maybe some guys, or I guess us as locals or just the national media are not talking about in terms of the offense that have been some really good players for uh, the Horn Frogs so far, like a wide receiver or someone that's really just kind of been that clutch guy for them. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, kind of like I was saying, they, they have struggled in, with the deep ball, but a guy they're high on who, who hasn't necessarily emerged as quote-unquote the guy, but they certainly feel he has the potential and ability to be is Quentin Johnston. He's a sophomore wide receiver. He's, you know, kind of uh, his, his work ethic has impressed coaches. You can tell he wants to be really good, and, and he has the talent to be really good. It's just a matter of putting it all together. Uh, with, with between him and Max, but he's a he's a big receiver. Uh, he was, I believe, he led the Big Twelve in yards after catch last year, uh, or, or he was one of the top guys in that category. So he, you know, he, he's a guy that they want to target, that they want to get the ball to. Um, and, and another guy, you know, you, you got to hope a, a guy under the radar. I'll throw out a lovely kid for you, uh, Blair Conright. You know, he's yep. a guy that they they've been high on. Uh, he only has five or six catches so far this year, but, you know, he did have a touchdown against Cal, and he's a guy, um, if he can find some space and get open, he can do some things with the ball. So uh, they, they they like their wide receiver corpse. They feel it's one of the most talented they've had in years, uh, but it's still kind of been a slow process, a slow start, so to speak, uh, to really get the passing game clicking. Once again, you're listening to the Red Raider podcast. I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor for the Lubbock Avalanche. We're talking with Drew Davison, who covers all things TCU athletics for the Star Telegram. You can follow him at Drew, D-R-E-W, Davison, D-A-V-I-S-O-N. We just spoke about the, the offense there, Drew. Looking at the defense, they gave up 42 to SMU in that loss, and then all of a sudden they kind of cranked it up a little bit against Texas, only giving up 32, which is saying a lot considering I watched the Texas Tech team give up 70 to Longhorns. What <laughs> what, what uh, changed about the defense, or was it just something that Gary Patterson just knows how to really, really slow down some of these Big 12 offenses? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny you say that because that's a good outside perspective, you know, because TCU fan, from TCU fans' perspective, they see – TCU giving up five yards a run. Yeah. It's the uh, first time since 1977 they've given up five yards a run and, and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the defense, you know, Gary is still putting the defense in good positions. It's just a matter of executing plays and whatnot. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, when, when you see a Texas team put up 70 points against Tech, who held what West Virginia to 20 last week, I mean, it kind of goes to show that that kind of, you know, speaks volumes of how much talent Texas has on the offensive side. But, 
but yeah, there are, there's still room to grow. And, and I think Gary, you know, wants to see some of these guys, once some of his guys get back, you know, they can even play at a higher clip. Uh, you know, one guy that stands out, Corey Bethley, the defensive tackle, he's probably their best inside guy, certainly the most experienced. Um, and, and he's been battling some injuries. So, you know, if he can get back, they just got Noah Daniels, one of their top NFL draft prospects back. He's a cornerback. Uh, so if he, if they can up his snaps as he kind of gets more acclimated to game speed, uh, that will help the secondary. So, uh, you, you know, they, they have talent, they have some promise, they have some guys that will be playing on Sundays, uh, but kind of like the offense, it's just a matter of putting it all together. And they haven't really had, you know, that elite type performance on defense yet. Although they do have a linebacker leading them in tackles, which seems to be the, the uh, trend with Gary Patterson and his linebackers and his uh, love for those guys. So certainly D Winters leading the guys with 22 stops, but uh, the one thing that kind of interests me, and maybe this is just something that should happen. Cause like you said, maybe they've not played up to the standard that Gary Patterson has looked at in terms of the defense, but uh, cornerback second and actually having as many tackles as D Winters, Travis Hodges, Tomlinson, uh, I guess what, what, what kind of uh, leads, lead someone to think, well, it's never a good thing when the defensive back has as many tackles as a linebacker, or is it just a, a matter of it, it? That's just how it's happened. It's just that they're having, having to be up so close and make some of those tackles. Yeah. Well, it certainly, and Gary said, it's probably not the best thing at cornerbacks up there leading the team in tackles, but, yeah. uh, but no, I mean, it, you, you know, it, so that's a, uh, I guess, a negative that, you know, some of these offenses are getting to that second level, so to speak. Uh, but on the positive, you know, Trey Tomlinson, who is LaDainian Tomlinson's nephew, obviously pro football Hall of Famer, a big time yeah. player uh, coming out of Waco Midway, um, ha- has really developed and emerged as a junior in, in terms of just open field tackling and actually uh, I'll, I'll be running a story shortly uh, on the Star Telegram about Trey. And just kind of how he brought the quote unquote dog mentality to the defense. And they really need that, you know, right now when, when things aren't going so great, but Trey Tomlinson's been one of the bright spots on defense uh, just in terms of becoming a tackler. He has an interception, uh, had one interception uh, overturned on review. So he he's getting better in that department too, in terms of making plays on the ball. Um, So certainly, you know, he, he's a, He's a really good talent for TCU. He actually played safety a little bit last week, which helped the tackles number come up. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're very high on Trey Tomlinson, and, and he's been one of their best players uh, through four games. So as we've kind of gone to the offense and the defense and gotten a little bit of perspective on some of those things, kind of put it in all together, Drew. I guess when you're watching this game, when you do get to Lubbock and Jones AT&T Stadium at 6 p.m. Saturday, what are you going to be looking for that's going to let you know, okay, TCU is in a good position to win this game or Texas Tech is in a position to win this game? Yeah, I, I mean, for TCU's perspective, I, I think it comes down to the running game. Uh, and, you know, on both sides of the ball, is Zach Evans getting enough carries? Is he looking fresh or is he staying fresh uh, going into the fourth quarter and able to make some of those pivotal runs? because uh, all signs point to this being a, a close ball game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I believe it's a field goal spread, you know, one way or the other at this point, uh, according to the book bookies in Vegas. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, they've got to, you know, be able to establish the run and really take control of the game in that manner against Texas Tech. And then conversely, on defense, you know, they're giving up over 200 yards a, a game on the ground. They've got to... Uh, find ways to slow down rushing attacks and, and not get beat that way. Um, and, you know, Gary said part of it's the secondary. I mean, he's had some safeties, you know, in position to make plays that just simply haven't been able to execute uh, in certain situations. So he might be shuffling a little bit this week. We'll see, um, you know, kind of who's starting, who's not. But from TCU's perspective, they've got to stop the run and they've got to establish the run uh, up there in Lubbock. Well, TCU 2-2, two and 0-1. Two, oh and I apologize. I said they were 0-2 earlier in the podcast. They're 0-1, but could be 0-2 yes. if they drop one to Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech, of course, coming into this one, 1-1 and one and, one and comes on a one-game winning streak after winning in Morgantown. That game will be on at 6 p.m. Saturday. 
on ESPN at Jones AT&T Stadium. Of course, you can follow Andrew Davison on Twitter for TCU updates. Or you can follow us at CM Silva Jr. or at AJ underscore Don Williams for all your Texas Tech updates. Once again, this is another edition of the Red Raider Podcast. Appreciate you coming on, Drew. Uh, safe travels, and uh, we'll see you in Lubbock in a couple of days, my man. All right. Sounds good, Carlos. Thank you. It's been another edition of the Red Raider Podcast. I'm Carlos Silva for Drew Davison. We'll talk to you next week.